We saw previously the Nefesh Chaim that he explains the concept of raising one's Nefesh to Hashem through Tefillah. We spoke in general terms that the person incorporates, encompasses all the different levels of the Bria that there are. And when a person davens, so the Tefillah, so to speak, connects all those different levels. And he says that's in the con- general concept. In his Lashon, the end of Perek Tesvav, he said, All we spoke about regarding Tefillah, that so to speak, pouring out one's nefesh. And that is the Davka by Yisbarach B'chol Teva to connect to Hashem. That's in general terms of a person connecting his nefesh to Hashem. Without paying specific attention to all the different factors or facets which make up a person's nefesh, because as we've done previously in Nefesh Chaim, as he's going to explain again, we talk about the spiritual side of a person in general terms as being his nefesh, but within that general concept, we can look at lots of different individual stages or levels. And that's what the Nefesh HaChem says, Adam Yesh Madrege Yesh Gavayabazah. There's a higher level. Vulachabim Bibchina Saprotim Akhlulim Benefesh. And that is to pay attention to each of the different aspects which are put together in the concept Nefesh. But that's not so easy to do. And it should say, Chinuch Tahargal Asim Madrege Madrege. That needs training. For a person to be able to focus on elevating each individual stage of their Nefesh to a higher stage. That's something which a person needs to understand first and then train himself how to do. Which means, Tefillah is not just the general idea of a person connecting his feelings, his nefesh to Hashem. It's a stage-by-stage process. That a person connects each level to the level above it, one by one, until eventually they all all the, the links in the chain, so to speak, are elevated together. And it says it's only she'achas shekvar hurgal b'tfilase ezesman b'inishvichas yistapus klal nefesh. It's only after a person has gotten used to the idea of connecting his nefesh in the general sense to Hashem. Achad zayatik atz milachavim b'pchenes aprotim shenafshek tulamet. You can then afterwards focus on the stage by stage process of all the different elements which make up the nefesh. What are these different elements? So again, he's explained this before. And we've learned in the Sharadaf, he's going to go through it again. And he says in the beginning of Sharat Tezayin, Perak Tezayin, Ki Yadur Shenefesh Olam Bichlolo, Yiklolo Migimel Bichinus Pratim. In general terms, we call it the Nefesh of a person, but it's made up of three specific stages. Vahayim Nefesh Ruach Neshama. Those three stages are called a person's Nefesh, a person's Ruach, a person's Neshama. Which are Shahayim Atzmam Hagimel Bichinus of Maisa Deba Machshava. And those three stages correspond to the concepts of Maise, Bibel, Machshava. Let's explain. The lowest level of the spiritual side of a person is what we call his nefesh. The nefesh of a person is the part of him which, so to speak, interacts with his body, makes his body work, gives it life. And therefore, the difference between a body on its own, which is something non-spiritual, but on its own is something dead. And what gives it its life force is called its nefesh. 
when the nefesh is in the body, the body is able to act, it's able to move, it's able to, to do things. There's a bloodstream, there's a circulation. That's the life within the body, what we call the nefesh kol chai. Every living thing has a life force. That level of spirituality which provides life is called the nefesh. The nefesh interacts with the body. Any part of the body which is not attached to the nefesh doesn't live. And the example for that, so it's not just the example, but the carrier for the nefesh in the body, the interface upon once, is the person's bloodstream. And similarly, the blood carries the oxygen, carries nutrients to each cell in the body, and any part of the body cut off from the bloodstream will die. So that the Torah tells us a number of times, ki nefesh. The dam is the nefesh. Inside the nefesh, dam is this concept of the nefesh, which is what provides the life of the of the spiritual life, so to speak, of the of that living thing. And therefore, that's what we refer to in the abilities of a person to to uh, live on different dimensions or levels. What we refer to as asiya, which means a person's ability to do, or the mice of a person. In order to do, a person has to be able to use his body to accomplish something. And the force of life which controls the body and its actions, its movements, is the force of the nefesh. And so this is compared to the oil Again, that's shared by every living thing. So that's why the first level is called nefesh. Like we said, it exists in the bloodstream and it's responsible for a person's activities. The level higher than that is something which is unique to human beings. And that is what we call the Ruch. Now, Ruach, even though it's literally translated as, as the concept of a, the, the wind or the air or whatever it's going to be, the breath, but in the concept of a person, that's the concept of what makes a person feel his individuality, his uniqueness. Because as opposed to animals, which the extent of their feelings are physical sensations, which they can be aware of, and the way that they're going to react is the same as any other animal will react to the same stimulation or to the same pain or pleasure, whatever it may be. The concept which sets people apart is that there's something different about people, whether it's his thoughts, whether it's a sense of identity, even whether it's his emotions which are not physical in nature, hatred, love, loyalty, whatever it may be, these things are human. And what defines the human being is the high level of what we call his ruh. Now, that exists in a person's thoughts, in a person's feelings, like we said, in a person's sense of self and identity. But if we look to define where we, this concept of a person's individuality is expressed, it's expressed through his speech. And the reason for that is because as opposed to animals which can also make sounds when they feel a certain way, when they in a certain situation, and they sounds that other animals could understand, whether it sounds of pain, whether it sounds of warning, whatever it may be. But that's not called speech. That's a sound which is interpreted by any animal to be the same thing, and people can also make sounds similar to that. The universal concepts of sounds which indicate pleasure or fear or pain or whatever it may be. That's not called speaking. Speaking is articulating something which is unique to the person. His thoughts, 
his understanding, his chiddush, his idea, even feelings which are unique to him. And therefore what makes speech a higher level is it's something which is individualized. It's not just an expression of any person, it's an expression of that person. And therefore it's, uh, so to speak, a way of referring to the ruach, meaning the individuality of the person. And speaking is dafka through what we call the ruach of a person. The Kabbalah teaches us, as Zara says, that the ruach is located in a person's life, in the person's heart, that's where his sense of self is. And uh, specifically, it's with the, the concept that he's of his breathing, so to speak, which we call the ruach. A person exhales or inhales, which is connected to that sense of himself, not because animals don't breathe. Of course, that's part of life. But the concept is that there's a connection of the blood to the whole body which gives it life. That's the lower system of the nefesh. There's a concept of the connection of the the heart, so to speak, of to the, the the cycle of the heart to the lungs, which connects the, if one wants, the blood to the oxygen supply. That's the high system, and that is where it gets the oxygen from, and also where it distributes it to the whole body. Now, that, to con- talk about that higher force of what the nefesh connects to, which is above it, we talk about the ruach. Speech is only made possible through a person's ruch. It's dafka through the exhalation of, of a person's air that he's able to talk. And that's the, the system within a person which is higher, and that's how we talk about the second ability of a person to act on the level of dibur, through speech. And that level of dibur is defined by the ruach of a person. And that defines a higher world. We talk about the world we're in as the world of action, the world of asiyah, the world of the nefesh, because that's what defines this world with their physical things and there can be physical effects. But there's a system above that, the world of Malachim, what we call the world of Yitzira, and that's connected to this level of the Ruach. We find many, many times in the Poiskim, when they're talking about the world of the Malachim, that is any Ruach, Vashmach, I call the Ruach, Ma'abu Ruchas Boi Haruach, Oisim Malach of Ruchos. And the idea is that the expression of Malachim don't have a body. Each Malach, his expression is its individuality, which HaKadosh Baruch gave it to do the job it's meant to do. And therefore, the concept of the world of Ruach is the world of expression of each Malach as an individual Shliach of Hashem to do a certain job. That's the second stage. That's what we call the Ruach. The third stage I spoke of before is what we call the Neshama. The Neshama is something which not all people have. It's a gift which was given to Klai Yisrael. And the function of the Neshama is it must connect a person to HaKadosh Baruch to the world of spirituality. And this is something which is Be'ikah centered above a person, but when we talk about the person's connection to it, we talk about it in his mind. That's where a person can connect to this concept, higher concept, of his neshama. And let's explain why it's like that. And that is the the, the third level where we talk about the neshama is connected to a person's nakshava, a person's thought, a person's understanding. And why does that signify a higher level of connection to Ruchnius? 
So the principle is like this. And that is with the a principle, a yasaid, which I heard from Mary Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, which she often used to talk about. And the yasaid is that there's, the Gemisha says in Chagiga, that when it comes to teaching concepts of Kabbalah, a person can't teach them, a person can only be Moshe Rashi Prakim, to a Talmud who is able to understand on his own. That's a very difficult way to teach something. But I can't teach a subject, I can just give Rashi Prokim and that way allow somebody who's on the level to to try and understand on his own what I'm trying to say. Why does it have to be like that? And more than that, how is it possible to give up information in such a way? So let's start with another question also. And that is, we know that Kabbalah, learning the, that part of Torah, is always called Torah's Hanistar, the hidden Torah, or Torah's Hasoid, the secret Torah. And the question is, what makes it hidden? What makes it secret? If a person doesn't know something, so then anything is a secret. He hasn't, he has no aware of it, he's never learned it. And if a person does know something, then why is it, who is it a secret from? Therefore, what? is unique about Kabbalah that it's called the Torah of Nista, the Torah of Secrets. Why is it by definition secretive? And the principle is like this. There's a certain amount that a person is able to explain. Because the way that you explain something is you can draw on a person's knowledge of certain uh, basic principles, of certain axioms that he's aware of, that he knows, and now I can expand on that. And therefore, I will rely on the information the person already knows about and can relate to. And based on that, I can extend the, uh, his understanding further. I can develop that to another level. But what you need to have is the basic points which the person already is aware of. And now I can add more building blocks onto that. I can ex- further his knowledge by expanding on, that basic pro- on those basic principles. But a person who doesn't have the basic starting point, then there's nothing for me to explain. He's missing a concept. And if he's missing a concept, no words I can say or no amount of explanation I could use can replace that. Let me give you an example. Imagine a person is colorblind. You can just see dark and light or black and white, you can't see colors. But he comes across something called, it talks about that is a color brown. And he comes to ask me, what's brown? Explain to me the color brown. Think a second. How would I begin to explain the color to him? I'd say it's dark. I'd say it's rich. I'd say it's strong. I'd say it's similar to black. In what way am I going to use to explain the color to a person who doesn't have the, the basic starting point of what that color means? All the description words I use, I could be talking about blue. I could be talking about purple. I could be talking about red. And all these words are meaningful to us because we have an understanding of what blue is and red is and purple is and brown is. But if we didn't have those basic starting points, there's nowhere to begin from. There's nowhere to begin from. And it applies to anything which a person needs a starting point. If a person's never tasted a mango or a strawberry, and he says, what's the difference between mangoes and strawberries? Where are you going to start from? That they're sweet. 
but they're slightly acidic. Where you, they could be talking about anything. How are you going to define something which a person doesn't have a reference to? There's no way to do that. And therefore, there's a certain range of what limits speech. What limits speech on the first level, which is a deep level to this as well, but on the first level, what limits speech is a person's ability to relate to the concepts you're trying to explain. If a person doesn't have the starting points of relating to the concepts that you're trying to convey, then there's nothing I can say. Because the, the words I'm saying aren't going to be understood. That's a starting point. Now if we understand this point, we can move to the next point. And that is understanding the concept of a spiritual world doesn't really have a physical example. Because there isn't a physical reality which we are aware of which parallels the spiritual. And therefore, the spiritual world is only, so to speak, understood by someone who experiences it. Because if they've experienced it, then they're aware of that feeling, they're aware of what it means. Somebody who hasn't experienced it, so we don't have the words to describe it to them. Just like the person is colorblind and you can't explain to him a color, or a person who doesn't have a sense of taste and you can't find him a taste. A person who hasn't experienced the connection to Ruchnius, there aren't the words to explain it. And we see this. The Nevi'im, a number of them, try to explain to us in their words the feeling of Nevo. And we can read the words of the Navi and we can be inspired by it. We definitely can't appreciate it because we've never had that sensation. And if that's the case, so now we understand why Torah Sakabala is by nature a site. It's not something which is, so to speak, explainable. It's not something which words can be used to give over. What one can do is one can give a hint, a Rashi Prakim, a marshal. And now if the person is experienced on their own, then they can relate to what you're talking about. And a person hasn't experienced it on his own, then they can't relate to what you're talking about. So that's the concept of why Kabbalah is a side. It's Nistar. But that's what also exists in the realm of Machshava. In the realm of Machshava means in the realm of a person's experience of understanding, not in the realm of Dibur. It's something deeper. It's something which can't be explained. Moshe Shapiro, as a friend of Rasul Ha'oz, used to say that when it talks about Moshe Rabbeinu as being quite fair and quite lashem, and they difficulty, difficulty speaking, and so to speak, quite lashem. So we know his tongue was injured by, by touching the coal when he was just a baby, a little child. Why is he quite fair? What is difficult about his mouth? So Moshe used to explain, I think, from the Maral, and that is Moshe Rabbeinu's difficulty was trying to explain the concepts of Torah which he understood on the level of Machshava into words which he could explain to other people. Because there weren't the words to explain that. It was a concept which was so much more Ruchni that Moshe had to struggle, so to speak, to find the way to bring down a concept into terminology that people could relate to. Most people don't have this difficulty. Most people think in terms of words which means they think in terms of how they understand something, and therefore, like the Briscoe is famously quoted as having said, 
the person understands something, it's very, well, how well he understands something is based on how well he can explain it. But if we're talking about is the understanding of an experience, of a reality which a person is aware of, which the other person won't be aware of, then there's no way to explain it to them. Words aren't the right medium. Just to give you a marshal, maybe, again, to elaborate on this point a bit, we've given this marshal before, but it, it does, I think, help to clarify this point, which is a point which, again, it's hard to find the words to explain. If one's ever spoken to a survivor of the Holocaust, and we would ask them to please share their experiences, many, if not most of them, are unable to. Not because they don't remember. They remember everything, in all its horrifying detail. But because the enormity of what happened was so much, the pain they suffered was so intense, that they're, going to, they're not going to find the words to describe it. So it was horrible, it was painful, it was terrible, it just doesn't do justice to what it was. And so from an opposite extreme, if you were talking to a chassan just after coming out of his chuppah, and told him, describe to me how it feels to get married. Once again, there probably aren't the words which can convey the full gamut of what a person feels. It's an experience that if a person experiences, they can understand and relate to. If they haven't experienced, then they can't just understand or relate to. That's something which is in the world of Mahshaba, as opposed to the world of Dibu. Okay, so we've explained by a person the three steps of Nefesh, Rach, the Shaman, how they relate to the three concepts of Maise, Dibra, and Mahshaba. But there's a, fir- a third, so to speak, ladder that the Nefesh Achayim wants to build us based on that result, and that is the words of the Torah themselves. We know that there's the words of the Torah are made up of letters. When we pronounce those letters, we use the Kudus, which are the vowelization sounds, which, so to speak, give us the way to pronounce the letter. And then besides that, in the Sefer there are also the signals of the trop, the symbols which tell us cantillation, which tells us how to put the words together into phrases or into sentences. And now let's read what the Nebuch says about this. He says, just like by a person, there are these three levels of Nefesh Rechashama. In every word of the Torah, there are three levels too, which are Masid, which are connected to the Masid Debu Machshava, Vahem, Oisiyas, Nikodos, and Tamim Shiba. The letters, the vowels, and the time. The trap. Kamashakasabak Thomas at the Kunim, a part of the Zar Chodosh, Tamay Ilan Nishmasin, the Tamim Malak of the Shamas, Vinikudim Ruchin, Vasvin Nafshin. The Nikodos are the Ruch. And the oasis of the nefesh. What does that mean? He's going to explain to us. And he says the oasis and bechinas ma'aseh. The oasis are compared to the the world of the ma'aseh. Kimetzias oasis created the below the kodesh. You have to share bechinas ma'aseh. Letters have to be written. The only way you're going to have a letter by itself is if you write the letter. So it's the result of an action. It has to be written. Which is the hainu ma'aseh sevak ma'ishum ksumim b'sefer Torah below the kodesh. The way the letters are written in the Torah, without vowels, without signs, is just the letter itself. That's a sign of a Maise. And it's only the sign of a Maise because one can't enunciate a letter without a Nukudah. One can say what the letter's name is, you can call it an Aleph or a base. But to make this, the sound of Aleph or base is impossible without a Nukudah. 
even if one is going to say B, that's already in the Kodah of Shva. So there's no such thing as pronouncing a letter without a Kodah. And therefore, the Ois as a letter on its own exists only in the action of writing the letter. So that's considered the Maisa. And if one wants to talk about it, it's the physical representation of the letter which is connected to the world of action. Now, it's impossible to pronounce a letter without some Nakoda. The vowels of Bukhinus Ruch. Shalahem. Shalakudus boim oasis, idea debush, laodum shabukhinus ruch. When the person wants to speak the letters, he has to add the Nakudus. And therefore, that's the Bukhin of Dibur. The way letters are spoken is with Nakudus. They came to give it its, its way of pronunciation. And he says, Just like by a person, his sense of self, which is his life, or his feeling of life, is based on his Ruch. And that's why, When a person's Ruch leaves his body, then he now exists in where his Ruch is. So therefore he no longer feels connected to his body because the Ruch is detached from his body. And that means even if there's still a stage where part of the Nefesh is in the body, he doesn't relate to that. He relates to his Ruch. And therefore he says, Even though there's a chalik of his nefesh, which remains in his body, even after his ruach is left, the person feels this connection to himself as his ruach, and therefore he feels that he's not in his body. So when it comes to the letter, the chius of the letters, so to speak, is in the kudus. That's what brings the letters to life, which means that's what makes them something which is uh, the result of speech. She built me the maskelim, what is uh, what makes the letters shine, so to speak, what makes us come to life, is the nekudas, which which can give a life, which can give a meaning, which can give expression to the letters. So that's the second stage. The second stage is the stage of the ruach of the word of the Torah, and the ruach of the word of the Torah is expressed by the nekudas. That's what makes it pronounceable, that's what makes it into a function of Dibur. When the Sefer writes a Sefer Torah, it doesn't have that, le- that level. When the Sefer writes a Sefer Torah, he just writes letters. When a person reads the Torah, so then he connects the letters to the Nukodas, and now the letters come to life, they're being spoken. And the last stage is, Vahatamim, Shalatayvus, and Bechinus, and Machshavu, and Salef. The Tamim is a step above that. That's the Bechinus of the Machshavu. The beginning of the machshava means a person's understanding. Why? The last point is that the way that you're meant to understand the letters of the Torah or the words of the Torah is determined by the timing. The timing tells us when to stop, when to connect the letter to the previous word, the previous words, connect it to the following words, and therefore that adds the understanding. The Gemara says to put the understanding into the words of the timing, and that's connected to the person's ability to understand. The time, we don't speak out clearly what the meaning is, but the person who understands how we're grouping the words can understand what the word, meaning of the word is. And that's a high level. And that's why he brings Wazara Khodash and Shirashirim, it says, Torah is of Naisiluch and Nukudus Akasif. The Torah makes you rows of gold with Nukudus with points of silver. Gold is more valuable than silver. And that the Zara says, 
the Torah is of inan tznuid tamim. The gold is the tamim. What gives the meaning to the to the words? Begin the inan asim nereish the malka. They come from a higher place. They come from the the so to speak the head of the king, a high level of ruchnius. The may have died of a sukhasunu the asim kulu. That's what gives understanding to the words, and then that that comes together with the nekudos, which are a lower level. It's considered like silver, which makes the words pronounceable. When the Torah is written, it has neither of these levels. So when the person who reads the Torah can give it both of these two levels, both the, the Nukudim and the Taimim, both the Ruach and the Neshama. So we have Oisius, which are the letters themselves, the action, the Nukudim, which is the function of the Dibur, of the Nukudus, and the Taimim, which is the understanding which is implied the person who can understand what, what what's being said. But if you look in the Arizal, and this brings in the footnote here, the Arizal talks about a fourth level, also called the Tagin. The Tagin are the little lines you find on top of some of the letters in the Torah. And they're also a letter in a stage in writing the Torah. So what do they refer to? So in the footnote here he explains. It says, V'afshu v'kis v'arizal m'chalkan v'adarad v'chinos, which are time in the Kulim Tagin and Oisius, k'yadur, akol echot. Because really, v'ikaram hem rakim v'chinos. So there are really three main, three main levels, which are the letters, the Nukudus and the Tamim. Like we see, give a whole separate economy, which is the Zara Machalkam Rakha Gimel Bechinus. Of the time the Kurdus and Isis feel bad. We don't talk about the Tagim over there, except for the Gimel Zivugim, the Zunim on the Shatnas Kets, which is one of the Tagim. And what's the idea of the Tagim? The Jerusalem self explains. By the time of the Mephorish Beit Chaim, there's the Shoinai. We said that sometimes the ois is connected the the body. It's a physical representation. But then we said there's also the nefesh. The nefesh which is something spiritual which interacts with that physical and makes it work. And therefore, the symbolism of the tag is something ruchni coming down from above to infuse that letter with a certain ruchnius. So if that's the case, it's true that it's the nefesh. If you're going to be more specific, the ois is the guf, and the tag is the nefesh which is connected to that guf. So he says, That the tag is always connected to the letter of the Sefer Torah. That's the nefesh which is connected to the letter. And that's a, that shows that the nefesh is always part of the guf. We aren't written as part of the word. The tag is part of what's written. It's a connection to the, the written part of the word, which is its guf. They're part of the letter. It's a nefesh which combines together with the guf to make it uh, to make it exist. Same thing, the tag is written as part of the ois. Now the amazing thing is, is when the Torah is written, we write tagim. But when the Torah is read, you can't pronounce a tag. And that is because when the Torah is read, it has a high level of chiyos. There's the chiyos of the of the nukudim and the taimim, and it's only when it's written, and then we don't have that connection to the higher level of chiyos. Then we see the tagim which are written, which are the minimal level of chiyos, which we call the nefesh, which is always there. So the main point to come back to is therefore the way that the person works on three levels of, of nefesh, ruach, neshama, which correspond to the worlds of ma'ase, dibra, and machshava, have the expression the Torah too, which are the letters of the Torah, which is the physical Torah that Hashem has given us. That's the Nefesh, which connects to the goof of the body, of the ice, the Nukudas, and the Tamim as well.